We're taking a look at Parshat B'Shalach, and Parshat B'Shalach, like so many parashot, really is a challenge because what do you not talk about? Do you not talk about Amalek? Do you not talk about Shiratayam? Do you not talk about the Man? You're like, what are you going to skip? And obviously you can't cover everything. So I decided to pick on what seems to be the smallest little piece in the parsha, and something which is uh, you often overlooked, just because it's in the middle of Parsha B'Shalach, which is so huge, Shabbat Shira, the Haftarah, and we've discussed lots of these things in the past, Shirat Hayam, the story of Yael and Sisra. We've gone through a lot of these, but I want to take take a look at this very small passage because I think it actually opens up the door to a whole longer and bigger parasha that impacts on part of Sefer Shmot and a big part of Sefer Bamidbar. Um, you know, this part of Shmot, specifically Parsha B'Shalach, is something of a travelogue. It lists a number of places that we travel to and from and camp, etc. And we're going to pick up the action right here, right after Kriyat Yamsuf. Now, you'll notice that um, I put in what is the, really the last two verses of the Shirah, although they seem to be an addendum to the Shirah, and you'll see why. After the Shirah, the famous song of Kriyat Yam, of Shiratayam, we have the following pasuk. Vatikach Miriam HaNeviyah, achot aharon et atof So Miriam, and she's introduced in an awkward way, we've talked about this years ago, she's introduced as Miriam HaNeviyah, of course, we get no record of her nevuah, of her prophecy at any point. Uh, and she's presented as the sister of Aharon, which is odd, of course, because she's also the sister of Moshe. Et atof biada. So she takes a tof, which is something of a percussive instrument, uh, but it's not a drum. Uh, they call it a timbrel, a timpani or something. And all the women go out. They also have these instruments, and they go out and do a big circle dance. Now, this is the first circle dance we hear about in Tanakh. Parenthetically, circle dances show up in Tanakh as something done by women after a military victory. We find it most famously when Shaul and David come back from chasing the Plishtim after David beheaded Goliath. Uh, and also when Bat Yiftach comes out, when, um, when Yiftach defeats the Ammonim, she comes out with a machol, which is odd because she seems to be alone. Uh, but she obviously has some unnamed friends there who are in a circle dance with her. And that's kind of the sign. So they're doing the circle dance. Just one second. Fatan lahem Miriam. And Miriam, Fatan, doesn't mean response. She invokes a response. And what does she say? And ostensibly, she then does the rest of the Shira. In other words, this is just like the first pasuk of the Shira, and she did the rest. That's the Shira. Now you've got to wonder, if we're studying the next passage, which is the story of Mara. Why did I include it? So I'll show it to you for a minor reason in a minute. Yeah, Dovi had a question. Does the vet in Vimcholot, like, is that is that normal? Like, you know, like the preposition? Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. Like, that, yeah. Same okay. thing in Shmuel Aleph, Perak uh, Yorchet, when the girls come out Vimcholot. Right. Yeah. Good question. But that, yeah, that's how it's described. Uh, we even have that in the old Israeli folk dance. Uh, okay, so now let's get to our actual parasha. So Moshe now moves the people. And we've got to ask the question, along the way, how long have B'nai Israel been out of their homes? So I posited, uh, I think it was last year, two years ago, that this all happens within a couple of days. And 
that therefore the main issue that's going to come up has not yet come up. But of course, you got to ask, Bnei Israel are a huge nation, including little kids and old people and pregnant women and everything else. What are they eating on the way? So eating is actually very simple. It says they all took dough with them. So wherever they stopped, they probably baked a little bit and they had some food. Water is a little bit more of a difficult issue, but there seem to be some sources of water on the west side of Yamsuf, because we're talking about very north part of Egypt, where they're crossing, um, which is near what is now the Suez Canal. Right? So there are water sources there. Here's the problem. Moshe leads them, and they go El Midbar Shur, which is the desert, which if you, if you look at a map of, of the Sinai Peninsula, you'll see it is the, it's referred to, at least, as the desert, which is in the northwest quadrant of the Sinai Peninsula. So it's where Port Said would be, etc. Um, uh, and they go to Midbar Shur. They went for three days and didn't find water. Now, let's think about what that means. They're walking for three days, and they're looking for water. They're not just walking for three days. They're walking for three days, and they didn't find water. It means they were looking for it, and they couldn't find it. Okay. Vayavom Marata. Now, this is an odd thing, because they come to a place called Mara. Marata is the way that you take the prefix, the locative prefix, le, and put it at the end of a word, becomes to Mara. But because Mara ends with a hey, it becomes a tav, Marata. They come to Mara. They couldn't drink the water at Marah. Because the water is bitter. That's why it's called Marah. Now, here's just a little bit of a question, which is an aside, but an, an interesting aside. Did they come to a place called Marah? Marah, population zero. And they realized why it was called Marah? Or did they come to a place that had no name, which is the middle of the desert? And they found evidently a stagnant lagoon, so the water was fetid, and they couldn't drink from it, and therefore they named it Mara, and therefore when we're telling the story, we say they came to Mara, which, by the way, gets named Mara as a result of this story. Kind of up for grabs, but we have numerous uh, examples of this uh, in Tanakh, in Breshit, for instance. Yaakov comes to a place called Penuel, and we later find he called it Penuel because he had just had an encounter with the angel. He saw God face to face. So it's a little bit circular, which gets named, you know, the, and, and the event. In any case, uh, they come to this place, Mara, and they can't drink the water because the water is fetid. All right. So now, and so the people complain to Moshe. This is not the first time we hear this, but the first time that we heard the complaints to Moshe were, of course, in Mitzrayim when Moshe first came to Paro and it was about servitude. The second time the people complained to Moshe was when they came to Yamsuf and Paro's army was there. And, uh, you know, aren't there enough graves in Egypt? Would you bring us out here to die? These are life and death things. Now, it's understandable, no water could kill them, but this is the first time that we hear a complaint about something related to nourishment. And they say, Manishta, what are we going to drink? Now, before going ahead, I just want to point out that I did include those first two psukim because there is a play on words, which I believe is deliberate here. Who is the star of the first two psukim on the page? Miriam. Miriam. And notice the focal point in Parakhav Gimel about this place is they come to Mara. They can't drink water from Mara because Marim Haim. And if you look at the word Marim, it's Miriam, just vocalized differently. 
Now, this is what we call Lashon Nofel Lashon, meaning it's very likely that they might have called the place something else. And they might have even used a different word for it because they were probably not even speaking Hebrew, they're probably speaking Egyptian. But the text translates it that way, perhaps in order to create a connection with Miriam, which, by the way, goes deeper. Because according to the Midrashic tradition, according to the Midrashic tradition, where was the water that Bnei Israel had throughout the desert? It was in a well that moved with them. And whose schut was that, was that well for? For the schut of Miriam. So there's a whole connection of water and Miriam and Nevoah going on here, just to point that out, but not, not our main focus. And we're going to move also, away from that Midrash. Uh, also what? the Shemunah HaMorim in Chukas. Right, good. Shemunah HaMorim, very good. And that's also spelled Morim without a vav. It looks like Miriam. Very good. Good, we'll add it to the, add it to the mix. Now, what happens? These are the two psukim we want to focus on. Moshe calls out to God, like he did before Yamsuf, and he did before Mitzrayim. By the way, every time B'nai Yisrael complained to him, he just turns to God and says, I'm conveying the complaints further. He calls, cries out to God, and God shows him a tree. Moshe on his own understands I'm supposed to take this tree and take off a branch and throw it in the water. And what happens? And the waters go sweet. This is the phrase we want to focus on. And by the way, this phrase is totally out of context. Meaning, you following the context, you would say, what should be next in the Pasuk? Everybody drank, and their animals drank. That's what you would think would be next. Instead of focusing on what happens as a result of making the water sweet, instead, there's this odd phrase, Sham sam And I've asked one question underneath, but the truth is, almost every word in that phrase is, is opaque. Sham, okay, that's at Marah. Who is the subject of this phrase? At that point, he gave him, singular, and he tested him. Who's doing the action here? Who is the generator of these things? What do you think? So there's probably two choices. Okay, what do you think? Hashem is the giver and the law is the... um. Hashem is the... You're saying, who's the subject here? You're saying it's Hashem. Right. Right? Hashem gave them a chogrishbat. And now, Vasham Nisahu means what? And there, he did what? Tested whom? The um. Okay, so now, here's the, here's the question. First of all, Sham Samlo Chokumishpat, there Hashem gave them chokumishpat. Which chokumishpat? We never heard of chokumishpat before. What do you mean he gave them chokumishpat? Second thing is, if Hashem is the subject of this pasuk, please take a look at the beginning of pasuk. Chavav, vayomer, and he said. Now, who's the he? The he has got to be the he of the previous pasuk, right? Im If you listen to the voice of Hashem, which means Hashem is in the third person here. We'll take a look at this in a minute. But basically, if you are, you are loyal to God's word, then. All of the plagues that I sent against the Egyptians, I won't put on you because I am God, your healer. 
Who's talking here? You see the problem? Is Moshe talking? Is Hashem talking? The first half of it seems to be Moshe, because he's referring, he's saying, this, if you listen to God, the second half seems to be Hashem, because in the first person, Moshe's not bringing, didn't bring plagues, Hashem did. And Hashem is the one who heals you. So there's a lot of confusion here. So we got to say, what's the Chok Mishpat? What's the Sahu? Who's doing what? There are all sorts of obscurities in the pronouns here that leave us guessing. So let's take a look and see what, first, what the Midrashim and what the Bishonim have to say about it. A very famous Mechilta. Sham Sam Lachoku Mishpat. So the Mechilta says the following. Mechilta, of course, is the Midrash Tanaim and Shmot. This is the Mechilta of Ishmael, the famous big Mechilta we've always had. Chok Zeha Shabbat, which means Hashem commanded Ben Yisrael regarding Shabbat at Marah. Now, of course, there's nothing in the text to suggest this. Not only that, but in the next chapter, when we have the story of the man, Shabbat is introduced seemingly as the first time they've ever heard about it. Look, Hashem is giving you a Shabbat. Brand new thing. Seems like they never heard about it before. And yet in the Midrash, the Chok is Shabbat. What's Mishpat? You have to honor your parents. Okay. Divrei Rabbi Yeshua. Rabbi Yelazar Amodei Yomer Chok Elu Arayot, and he brings a pasuk. Chok is to to abide by proper sexual decorum. Umishpat Elu Dinei Anasin Dinei Knasot Dinei Chavalot. Essentially, part of the of the process of adjudication of a beitin in torts and in battery and assault and things of that sort. Which means, by the way, that we're saying that here at Marat, after Moshe sweetened the water with the rock, meaning after Moshe sweetened the water by putting the stick in, and Hashem sweetened the water, Kilu, I mean, that's what I mean, that Hashem gave them mitzvot. And there's no mention of this in the text. And then Visham Nisan, who kind of sits there as a pregnant phrase, what does it mean? The Mechilta Derash B, which is the Mechilta of the school of Rabbi Akiva, is somewhat similar. Chok zu Shabbat, Mishpat Zekibarav, Ve'em de Rabbi Yeshua, that's exactly what we had. Rolozor Moda'i, same thing. And then uh, Rabbi Shem Ben Yochai has the following addition, which is not in the first Mechilta. Why did Hashem give us Dinim first? Now this is going to open the door to an important Ramban. Shadim ben Adam l'chavero, tacharut ben ehen. People are litigating each other. They're competing. Once there's a dean and the bait dean decides what the what the ruling is and who gets the money or who keeps the money, whatever, then there's peace between them. And they bring the pasuk of Yitro's advice to Moshe that demonstrates that. So in other words, Roshim is saying, why do dinim have to come before the entire Torah, meaning all the other mitzvot, which means he's siding with Rabbi Lazar Moda'i, who says that the Chokum Ishpat that was given at Marah was about settling interpersonal squabbles, because once you have that in place, then you can have peace among the people, and then you can move on to the next thing, which is Kabbalah Torah. Okay. Now, you'll notice here that Rashi quotes the the uh, the Mechilta, and by the way, he adds in something which is in some girsaot paraduma, and that's occasioned by the word Chok. Okay, but look what the Rashbam says. The Rashbam has a whole different take. It should not be so surprising. Sham sam lochokum ishpat, and he addresses the other phrase v'sham nisahu. Sham b'mora alidei alilot hanisayon. In other words, 
because of this test of coming out into the desert and not having water, he made them thirsty, and then he healed the waters so that they could drink. He then started to rebuke them and reprove them that they should accept God's laws, and that God will take care of them when they do that. In other words, Chokumishpat here doesn't refer to specific laws. It's that he set up the ability for them to be a law-abiding group by first showing them Hashem will take care of you. So where do we see this? In the next Pasuk, when he says, when you do all the things that Hashem has commanded you, then Hashem will keep you healed, etc., just like he healed the water. Okay? Rabbi Yosef Bechor Shor has a very different take. Very different take. He says, Chok means the following. What's a Chok? So the word Chok comes from the root Lachkok, which means to engrave. And a chok means a law because that's how laws used to be presented. Do you ever look at the at the uh, st- at the stone slab of Hammurabi's law? It's engraved into the stone. And so a chok is a law. However, chok also means uh, also refers to like a daily ration of food. Hatrifeni lechem chuki. And in Bereshit, we found. That people would eat the amount that they gave them. That's in the story of Yosef and his brothers. Right? In other words, the 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 there at that place he gave them laws um, that, and this is taking a different tack on it, that your life depends on that, and and he warned them about them. So the thing is still kind of opaque. And here the Ramban comes in and just beautifully. The Ramban quotes Rashi. And then he says the following, which if you think about it within the context of the Psukim, is just so smooth. What does the Ramban say? As soon as they came into this desert, which is Amidbar, Agadol, Vanoravet, Simon, Shreimayim, a desert without water, as described in, in Akev. What happened? They're going to be traveling through the desert, and God's cloud is going to lead them from time to time to an oasis where there's water, and to a spring, and to a well, and to trees where they're going to get food and they're going to get water. What did God first give them? He gave them ways to behave when food is rationed. You can talk to some extremely old Yerushalmi, and they'll tell you what, it's, what it was like in, the, in 1948 to be standing there waiting for the one egg they got that day during the siege. Right? We know that a common behavior is called a chok, and he brings a pasuk, and in Mishle, and Yemiyahu, what's a mishpat? A mishpat is the proper amount, and he gives examples from Shmuel Aleph, right? And from Breshit, right? The amount of wine that you used to give Paro to the butler, right? So in other words, he says, what was the Chok Mishpat? The Chok was the proper way to behave around rationed food, and the Mishpat was the amount you get. But he still left the Sham Nisahu open. So let's see if we can perhaps add to the Ramban, twist it a little bit into a slightly different direction, and make it work. What's the very next... 
Dovi? Who's the subject then? Oh, very good. Good. So let's go look back. I'm actually going to come back to that in a minute. Come back to the subject because it's critical. Dovi points out, who's the subject of this pasuk? So now, in the very next passage, the last pasuk in that chapter, they come to Elim. And what do they find when they get to Elim? 12, well, 12 springs and 70 day trees. And they camp there. Of course they camp there. It's an oasis. That's great. And by the way, there's no complaining. There's no problems because they've got a chokumishpat. They know you line up for the food. You line up for the water. You only get this amount. Right? we got to make do. we got a huge people, uh, huge camp and uh, limited rations, rations. We then go into the desert. Now notice that when we get further into the desert, what the people complain about now is food. They don't complain about, about thirst because they've already experienced that God will take care of their problem of thirst. But they finally run out of the dough that they brought out of Egypt. And now their, their complaint is about food. And that's a legitimate complaint. By the way, notice, when Bnei Israel complain about the water, Hashem does not get angry at them the first time. When they complain about the food, Hashem does not get angry at them. It's a legitimate complaint. You brought us out to the desert, there's no water. Okay, now there's water. You brought us out to the desert, there's no, and we ran out of food. Okay, now there's food. What happens after the man? After the man, they continue traveling and they come to Rafidim, the Ain Main There's no water there. Now, what have the people already experienced? They've already experienced that Hashem will take care of their water needs. This time, what happens? And they come to Moshe and they start quarreling with him. They say, We want water. This time, Moshe turns on them. Why are you testing God? Notice that word, Matanasun, takes us back to Visham Nisahu. Watch. They're very thirsty. And they complain. And they said, Why did you take us out of Egypt? Look at the two green phrases. They're saying the exact same thing, but now it's back to water. And this time they yelled at. So Moshe turns to Hashem. What does Hashem say? Walk in front of you, take the elders, take the staff that you hit the 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 uh, your oar with to cause the plagues. Take it, and I'll be standing with you, and you hit the rock. Water will come out of the rock. And Indeed, that's what happens. This place is called Masa. Notice the title of the Shior, from Mara to Masa. This place is called Masa, which means testing. Testing in the sense of you're testing my patience. Umariva and quarreling. Because I'll read B'nai Yisrael beyond Masotam et Adonai Lemor. Because what were they really saying? Is God really with us or not? That's what's happening. Okay, so I want to show you one thing that happens. If you look at source 12, the immediate follow-up of this story is Amalek. And we show you all pick up on that, the Midrash picks up on that, that Amalek only can come and attack us when this happens. When we start questioning, is God with us? When we start testing God. So this is clearly seen as a, as a downside. This is a black mark on our history, this parasha. This is not a good time. I want to point you to one pasuk in Dvarim. In Dvarim, in Parshat Vatchanan, in the passage that immediately follows Shema Yisrael and ends with the the question of what the one we call the wise son, we have the following line, don't test God. And then there's a line, as you did at Masa. Interesting. So what's the Ka'asher? 
Is that saying, here's an example of when you tested God, don't do that again? Or is Kasher defining and saying, don't test God the way you tested him at Masah? So let's now go and see what happens. We'll come back to our parasha and look exactly who's speaking and who's acting and put in different twists. What happens here? By God shows Moshe a tree. Moshe takes the tree, the branch, throws it into the water, and the water becomes drinkable. I'd like to suggest that the subject of this pasuk is Moshe. And Moshe gave them a chokomishpat exactly like the Ramban said, which is, he told them, this is how much you get, and this is how you behave, and this is the consequences, mishpat, for not take, for taking too much or pushing in line or whatever it might be. Now watch, Visham Nisahu, here the subject becomes Am Yisrael. Am Yisrael tests God, but they don't test God. This is not in a bad way. It means they come to an agreement with God. And that is, as long as you keep, just like Yaakov at Bethel, as long as you keep providing for us, we're going to abide by these laws. Which, by the way, makes this a fantastic, necessary prerequisite for coming to Sinai. That we're recognizing, as long as we abide by the system, you're going to take care of us. And the Vasham Nisahu was, Quid pro quo, we're going to abide by the system. We're going to live by the Chokum Ishpat, and now you take care of us. Now, what is Moshe's response? Moshe's response is, good gazot. And if you listen to God, and you obey his laws, and you keep all of his mitzvot, and notice, so not just this Chok, but Kol Chukav, then what's going to happen? Hashem has said the following. All of and now he's quoting Hashem. All of the plagues I sent him to I won't send on you the opposite. I heal you just like I healed the water. So Am Yisrael here is accepting a relationship. They're starting a relationship. We're going to the desert. We know that the desert contains all sorts of challenges and all sorts of uncertainties. We know that you're with us, and we promise that we're going to live by the Chokum Ishpat that Moshe gave us, or that we gave us, as a way of getting along. And we're testing you in the sense of, we're going to live by the Mishpat, and you take care of us. So what happens? The very next step, they come to Elim, and it's all there! And their their statement has been proven to be valid. They live by the laws, and Hashem provides for them. How beautiful! And what happens next? They have laws and rationing about drink. What happens next? They come into Midbar scene and they have no food and they complain about the food. That's cool. And Hashem says, I'm going to give you food. And you know what? I'm going to do you a favor. I'm going to ration it out for you. I'm going to give you one Omer like Gugolet. And if you take more, it's going to spoil. And if you keep it over, it's going to spoil. I'm going to ration it out for you. I'll give you the Choku Mishpat. And by the way, what is the Mishpat there? That you collected six days. And you don't go out on the seventh day. And now we roll Shabbat back to Marah. When do things collapse? When they get to Rafidim. They get to Rafidim and they blow it. They blow it because now they say, where's God's? God's not here. There's no water. Wait a second. We had a deal. The deal was, you live properly. I'll take care of the water. Don't worry. There'll be water. 
and they blew it. And here the place is called Masa Umeriva, they tested God. And that's why the Pasuk and Devarim says, don't test God the way you did it in Masa. Test God the way you did it in Masa, that's great. You can test God and say, look, I'm going to dwell in the mitzvot, I'm going to live properly, and you're going to take care of us, that's fine. But not to come to a new situation and say, are you with us anymore? Have you abandoned us? Uh-uh. And so what happens at Marah is that Am Yisrael takes the first very brave step towards independence and responsibility and towards a covenantal relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. When they break that covenant, there's God's anger. And it's something we don't forget forever. We'll think of Masai as a black mark on our history. But when we live by the agreement that we've made, Kodesh Baruch Hu takes care of us all the way through. And what's glorious about this moment here is that we're the ones who initiated the compact. And then Hashem responds with the his side of the compact. Okay, good. You keep all the mitzvot and everything. I'll take care of you. And that leads us into the Midbar. We're accustomed to thinking about our travels in the Midbar as being one long fetch. It's not true. Overwhelmingly, our travels in the Midbar, we assume we're actually, we're pretty good. And then once in a while, there's some tragic stories that we hear about, but they seem to be the exception to the rule. In any case, hopefully we got a little new insight, not only into a relatively ignored parasha in, uh, in, in Bishalach, because it's overshadowed by all the other stuff, but perhaps some information about the rest of the travels, which are, which occupy really not much more of Shmot, but a lot of Bamidbar and parts of Dvarim.